earliest phases of the uh, putting together of the New Testament. And that is, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, the 28th verse. Let's read that together. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I'd like to, uh, as the pendant uh, to that uh, verse, I would like to simply remind you of the verse in the book of Genesis, which was quoted again in Mark 10 and also in Matthew, where he said, from the beginning of creation, it has been written, quoting Genesis, he made the male and female, therefore the man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall be joined and cleave to one another, and they shall be one flesh. But I want to read Galatians, which we've just read, where it says there is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus, with the uh, very powerful uh, Genesis quotation, which occurs again in the New Testament, which, which we, are, we read at weddings, that uh, the God made them male and female. Uh, and that is a tremendous uh, constituent part of identity, obviously. So how can it be true that there is no male nor female in Christ Jesus and that God made us male and female from the beginning of creation? Now, um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, maleness and femaleness uh, because uh, this is the um, great stumbling block of all human beings. You are more likely to uh, have issues, as we say today, relevant to maleness and femaleness than any other possible thing because it is so deeply written into the uh, nature and psychogenetic bodily uh, and especially because it's tied so closely to the uh, procreation that if I were sort of a, not a Christian, but just a natural scientist, I would say it's, it's just embedded in evolution. It is embedded. The species can only survive if the male has a very strong male drive and the woman also has an equally strong drive to, uh, to help create uh, babies. And that being the case, there is a drive within human nature that is written in uh, to, to, to creation. And this also means that this is the great stumbling block. I, I'm not at all convinced that uh, marriages end uh, save in, uh, for, for some form or another of adultery. Now, people will often criticize me and they say, how can you say that? It's simply not true in my experience. And I'm sure there are exceptions. But I've known very, very few cases in which the fundamental core symptom or uh, enacted uh, representation of the collapse of the relationship took the form of some, uh, uh, some issue relating to sex and maleness and femaleness. Now, this is not a class on sex. It's a class about gender. But uh, we're talking about the thing which causes most people to stumble in the world. Um, men and women have different ways that this is uh, felt and gone through the sieve of the unconscious. But the, the, the need for relationship with a man and the relationship for a woman and the whole sexual function in a man creates uh, mighty waves. And if you really want to hear something very true about this, uh, read, but take it with a grain of salt, also anything written by D.H. Lawrence. And remember that D.H. Lawrence was a man who'd grown up in extreme evangelical Christianity. And like all people who grow up in conservative religious backgrounds, whether they be Catholic or Protestant, they end up being very, very A, involved and interested in sex, B, very confused 
confused about sex, and C, often uh, in tremendous reaction to Christianity. And this is true with almost everybody who's ever uh, written uh, in the West, uh, uh, who's written out of a Christian context. Now, that um, being uh, the case, um, what um, happens in theology, I'm going to give you some big ideas in a short period of time, at least I think they're big ideas, is that um, in the world, even in regard to sex, that is to say gender differentiation, we're saying, what is it about me that my maleness contributes to who I am? And what is it about me that my femaleness contributes to who I am? And if these are immovable, powerful issues in my life, how is it possible to say that these ultimately are not the defining issue? Because the whole purpose of this class is to express the biblical idea that St. Paul says that in ultimate truth, uh, maleness and femaleness is not uh, a description of the human being. So it's a big thing. But what we find in theology is that a uh, natural theology now, I'm going to explain what I mean by this in just a minute, but if you've ever talked to Clarence Thomas or listened to his beliefs about things on the Supreme Court, and if you've ever studied the work of St. Thomas Aquinas or the whole tradition of Roman Catholic theology, uh, you will discover a huge, very strong emphasis from all the encyclicals of the current pope right back to the Middle Ages, and it goes back eventually to Aristotle, a view of natural theology. I myself reject this as a fundamental principle of human nature, of human theology, but it's very nonetheless important. And in matters of, uh, in Christianity, uh, natural theology is always trumped, it's trumped, important as it is, by soteriology. Now, you've all heard me use that word, so I don't need to define it again. Um, but uh, this is a great word. Natural theology uh, is trumped by soteriology. Natural theology is the idea that God made it in nature. He made it in nature the way it is. And the sooner we get alerted to that and in, in, in sync with the way it is in nature, which is uh, God's ultimate purpose in principle, in an ideal, the sooner we'll get in touch with God's purposes and God's ultimate plan. So one of the key things about this is that your maleness and your femaleness, although we all know that we all have different uh, proportions and it's all very chaotic in many people's inward lives, not to mention their outer, uh, but that natural theology is simply acceptance of what God or evolution or the creator has, uh, has designed it to be. The grand design theory, natural theology. And according to that theology, a great deal would be made. This is why uh, a great deal of the arguments today that are presented against the gay lobby in Christianity are presented from a Roman Catholic perspective of natural theology. It's not an argument that I make. I have a different issue with the gay lobby. But um, nonetheless, this is the classic argument, that it was set up this way clearly from observation and empirical study of the way the human body is more or less in most cases, and certainly for the purposes of uh, procreation, and therefore natural theology uh, has all sorts of implications regarding that which is normal, natural, good, and right, and that's how it goes. But I would say always in Christian theology, as I understand the Bible and Jesus, it's always trumped or put into a secondary place by soteriology. Now, who can define, this is really, this is the real thing, who can define what soteriology means? What? <laughs> you all, okay, what, what is soteriology? 
Who wants to give a quick, quick definition? Soteriology is the study of salvation. salvation. Who said that? Brian, thank you so much. That's Brian Johnson. He works for Birmingham, Ma was it Portico? Portico Magazine, a gifted photographer and graduate of our wonderful local university, Sanford. Hope you don't mind. Uh, now, uh, and with a, 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 a soteriology is the study of salvation. Now, the reason how I'm saved, the reason we know that natural, and give me a, this was, I'm, I'm talking about maleness and female. The reason we know that soteriology trumps or is superior to natural theology is because it is soteriology that combines everybody into one pot and breaks down the differences between men and women. Now, let me, let me say what that is. The three primary ways in which, uh, uh, in which men and women are absolutely alike, notwithstanding all the givens of gender and gender identity and physical function and all these things, there are three basic ones. Men and women are equally hurt by loss. A man is as 100% done in by the death of someone he loves as a woman is done 100%. It may be expressed in different ways and so forth and so on, but a man who's really lost someone that he loves is just as devastated and uh, destroyed as a woman who loses someone that she loves. Case in point is uh, uh, Persuasion, the novel by Jane Austen, in which uh, a naval captain who loves his wife and is, is, uh, has been disabled in combat, a naval, a naval uh, officer uh, explains to the sort of uh, pert, uh, umphy heroine, Anne Wentworth, or no, it's Anne Elliot is her name, and he uh, uh, explains to her, she's saying in sort of typical Jane Austen cut palaver, well, my lord, uh, women are da-da-da-da-da, but men, on the other hand, uh, the, the usual kind of palaver about maleness and femaleness, and he turns to her in an emotional compassionate and non-patronizing way says, no, that's not true. What, um, what, what I feel when I come back into port after being away in combat at Trafalgar for three years and I see my wife and my child come to meet me and I'm praying that they won't be late, they'll be there when the boat comes, is exactly the same as she feels. And, theref and therefore my ability to be faithful tied up with my profound love for the woman. And he, 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 he hits her. I mean, he, she's not expecting to hear that men uh, can love and can be dealing with loss or potential loss as powerfully as, uh, as women. And so she trumps him. She is trumped. And that conversation, I, in my view, is sort of a key point in that very powerful book. Soteriology, which is the need for a savior, Women and men, uh, you know, 99 tears. Remember that song, 99 tears? They, we all have, not, we're all capable of 99 tears by question mark and the Mysterians. That's the first thing. <laughs> Secondly, women and men are equally um, subject to anxiety. Women and men are equally subject to anxiety or to guilt. It may be expressed in certain characteristic, quote, female ways. And it may be expressed in certain characteristic male ways, but anxiety and fear of, of being judged or, or a, a deep allergy to being judged or criticized is as strong in men as it is in women. So the first point was soteriology, which is simply a theological way of saying, I need comfort, is equally distributed among the sexes. Secondly, the uncomfort with being judged, 
being criticized or being held up to some standard uh, is as powerful in men as it is in women. That's why St. Paul says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none who is righteous, not one. That is not ranting. That is a profound common experience. If you have ever been undone by how your child behaved at the pig, you know, I mean, it, 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 just about, it just about altered our lives forever. When one of our children, long, long ago, threw an absolute classic fit of a little child in a, in a supermarket, the A&P, in, in New York City on University Place, and I don't think my wife has ever recovered. Uh, only because it, the attention that it drew and everybody looking and everybody criticizing, and especially the older ladies who didn't have children anymore, the fact that you thought, well, you must be this terrible mother and so forth. But all I'm saying, that's one way, but, but, but the, all, all you need to do is, is see the way you relate to your career and you'll see that, or, a, you know, the old thing of a internal revenue, a service audit, and you know that anxiety is equally distributed between the sexes, anxiety over judgment or criticism. And finally, we know that we are together in uh, our uh, deep uh, needs uh, because we all um, uh, need love the same amount. You, you won't meet a man who needs less love than you as a woman do. And you won't, won't meet a woman who needs less love than you as a man do. There, uh, there are no exceptions to the fact that everybody needs to be loved completely all the time. Now that doesn't happen. But everyone here, whatever your age, whatever your experience of life, whatever your background or circumstances, you need to be loved equally. Uh, the idea that God is love has never been felt to be uh, a gender-weighted uh, uh, statement. So what have I said? Um, I've said that there is a, a deeply uh, profound fact uh, rooted in the reality even of the Bible that in the beginning he made them male and female. Secondly, I've said that soteriology, the need for a savior, for someone to help me, is that's all it is. A savior is someone who saves your life. Remember? Remember that song by Elton John, Someone Saved My Life Tonight? Sugar babe. I mean, we all, if, if you're my age, you just live for that song. I mean, actually, if you were a little younger, if you're 10 years younger than I am, that was the song. Uh, when I was first ordained, everybody was singing, Someone Saved My Life Tonight, because you were talking to a girl or a guy. He saved my life tonight. Deep down, I'm a waif. Deep down, I'm profoundly, unbelievably lonely and alone. And in the moment of love, I saw that someone saved my life tonight. That's soteriology. Don't use religious terms. It's needing to be saved. And uh, we've discovered that although that human nature is, uh, is uh, divided in nature between two sexes, there uh, is a more profound issue, which is the issue of soteriology. Now, I'm going to stop now so you can come back at me on this. And then next Sunday, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, gender and comparison and what and when men compare themselves with women, or women compare themselves with men, what is the plus side of comparison? I'm not sold on that one yet. And what is the negative side of comparison? And how does the extraordinary verse 15 about wrath and transgression in relationship to comparison, how does verse 15 offer the human race a way out of the self-righteousness and also the despair that is based upon the distinction between men and women. I will finish by saying that I uh, would very deeply like to be more like a woman. And I, I'm saying this very sincerely. I wish that I were not as angular 
I mean, men and women are very different. There's some people, you're all different spectrums, but, but I, for, I find that I'm very either or. I'm, I tend to be very cut and dried. I see things bump, and I, I also compartmentalize heavily. I'm like Pa Jode, remember? At the end of Grapes of Wrath, where she says, M men, she says, Ma Jode, live in jerks and starts. Women are like a long river. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. I wish I were more like a river, because I live my life definitely in compartments, jerks and starts, and highly antithetical comments and ways of looking at it. I often wish that I were more patient, were more go with the flow, and were far less ABC in my thought process. Now, I don't know if that's being a woman or not, but I do know that whatever the other part is, which I'm often told, not by Mary, but by others, that that's very male, I wish I weren't. Moltmann said once, the trouble with you, Hetzal, is you're just too masculine in your approach to theology. And I, I mean, good Lord. Now, uh, comments or uh, comments, uh, he, he, I mean, I'm sure he has a point. Uh, now, I'd like to know what uh, your uh, comments or thoughts or questions are about the few thoughts I've tried to present. Uh, Mrs. Haygood. I always say Mrs. Haygood. And then David, did you have your hand up? Okay, thank you. And then someone up here. Speak up. Yes. Hmm. I remember. And nobody else will see the name but us. And, and also Paul alluded to this today when he said that when um, Peter. He, no, I mean Paul said that when Peter said yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter told Christ who Christ was, Christ told Peter who yes. Peter was. Yes. So what I'm trying to say is that um, I praise God and, and rejoice that in a sense he doesn't see me as female or male or, or anything else. Yep. Else yep. But at the same time, he does see me and know me in, in all my particularity, and I don't, much more than I know myself yes. Wow, thank you. For the tape, uh, this is uh, the, Mrs. Haygood has asked the question of how do we relate not having particularity, say vis-a-vis -vis sex or race, with having our own nevertheless, the particularity of soul. Powerful statement. I don't want to add to it, except it's a profound <laughs> comment or thought. Thank you. David. Stand up, David, if you would. I think that um, just from a, a technical standpoint, I think people, on the one hand, natural theology is correct in that you do injustice when you try to see a person or a soul outside of their sexuality. Yep. Because um, just from a morphologic standpoint, I can demonstrate that behavior really changes on a hormonal basis, and I can, can actually do that. But you're a physician. So, I, fair enough. So <laughs> I think it's... <coughs> I think it's patently a certain the movement of raising children asexually and yeah. 
homosexual or bisexual. <coughs> it's fairly absurd. But on the other hand, I do think from God's standpoint, the issue of salvation is seen as equally as important because there are people who are born hermaphrodites. Who yes, are actually yes. both male and female. Yes. Or they are phenotypically female. They appear sexually female, but they're chromosomally male. So yes. They appear male, and they're chromosomally female. Wow. And Yes. It's a boy or a girl. Obviously, they don't stop loving those children. They're confused, but they don't know what to do yet. And yes. Sometimes you have to make arbitrary decisions about yes. what sex this child is going to be. Yes. But obviously, the love is there. Yes. Thank you, David. That's very powerful. It brings to mind Flannery O'Connor's story, The Temple of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't read it, it's a must. It's about a hermaphrodite at a, at a so-called, uh, at a country fair in the South who uh, has a very powerful statement to make to men and women uh, who are seeing him. But uh, uh, I won't comment except to say uh, one other thing I want to dovetail. How could you be married to a person of a different sex who had a whole different set of givens that may relate to that over the long haul? Uh, how could you possibly be married to that person, really, or in a deep connection with them if you felt that sex was defining? Because you'd be living with an alien. I mean, you'd basically be living with an alien. I, Kid Mary at Mentone, we have a, I've framed a little card from the book, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And on the cover of that wonderful novel, it says, um, he's, he's carrying this beautiful girl, this man's carrying this girl, and the headline is, was she his woman or an alien life form? <laughs> anyway, and I say, Mary, that's, you know, I need to constantly remember that. But um, the, the universality of the love is if it's an alien life form, you who are women, or however you want to say it, then, then there'd be tremendous limitations on how much unity could really take place. Uh, Raleigh, I think, next. I remember in medical school, the psychiatrist told us 